Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. <laughs> A nightmare on Pension Street. Halloween is around the corner, and so are pension tax changes. What scary frights could be in store for higher earners? And sticking with the Hammer House of Horror theme, the price of alternative assets such as art, stamps and wine may have soared at auction in recent years, but Paul Lewis is here to smash your preconceptions as he reveals how much the Hammer price is distorted by commission payments. And the three C's of income investing. Could they work like a charm on your investment portfolio? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleague, Josephine Cumbo, and special studio guests, Micah Curry of Fidelity, the FT money columnist, and Paul Lewis, the freelance journalist and presenter of BBC Radio 4's Moneybox programme. First, pensions changes, which promise more trick than treat. Higher earners risk getting caught out by new changes to pensions tax relief, which have been described as nightmarishly complex by finance professionals. From next April, those with incomes of £150,000 or more will be affected by new restrictions, which could see their pension savings annual allowance drastically reduced from 40000 to 10000 But experts warn hundreds of thousands of higher earners in the private and public sector risk unexpected tax bills for falling foul of the new taper due to its complexity. I'm joined by Josephine Cumbo, pensions correspondent at the FT, who's been wading through the nightmare on your behalf. Josephine, thanks for joining us today. Tell us, how is this new annual allowance restriction different to other changes to tax relief made in the past? In the past, when the Chancellor has announced new restrictions to the annual allowance, which is how much you can save into a pension each year and benefit from tax relief, what normally happens is it will reduce in a quite clean way. So from 50,000 to 40,000 was the last cut. But what is being introduced from April next year has been described as devilishly complicated. Mm. Uh, And that's no understatement because what will happen is that for anyone with an income of £150,000 to £210,000, the annual allowance will start to reduce from £40,000 to £10,000. So this taper, can Mm. you explain briefly how it works? The restriction known as the annual allowance taper sees the allowance fall by £1 for every £2 of income above £150,000 with a maximum reduction of £30,000 applied to those earning at least £210,000. Once you start to get earning more than £210,000, the most annual allowance you can have is £10,000. It won't get any smaller than that. 
So, for example, someone with an income of £180,000 would result in an annual allowance of £25,000 once that taper formula has been applied. And is it just those earning £150,000 or more who need to worry about no, this? No, not at all. This is where it gets even more complicated, oh, Claire. I mean, <laughs> this is it. I mean, people trigger and they think, I might not be in that bracket of £150,000 because I don't earn that much. But actually, the HMRC is on to that. And what they've done is they've expanded the definition of what counts as income. And it's right. called adjusted income. So it's not just your salary but it can also include your employer pension contributions, things like rental income from a buy-to-let that you might have, even income from savings and dividends will all count towards Gosh. your uh, adjusted income and draw you into the taper zone, if you want to describe it as that. So anyone who has an income of £110,000 is generally safe, but if you've got anything... Above that, you could be pulled into the taper zone if you've got income from other sources, for example. So if you think that you are in that zone, what can you do and how should you broach the subject with your employer? Well, this, the thing is, is that if you've got income of a minimum of 110 and you're counting your employer contributions and you're sort of feeling a bit nervous about falling into the taper zone, you should have a conversation with your employer to start and examine what those contributions from the employer might do in terms of pushing you into a zone where you could face the tax charge if you're going to breach your taper and an allowance. Once that position has been established, There is also opportunities to act before this new taper comes into effect from April next year. And you can still, if you haven't made any contributions to your pension over the past three years, there is a potential for you to carry forward those allowances and potentially pay up to £180,000 in to your pension. But you must be careful to ensure that you're not breaching any lifetime allowance limits at the same time. So as you can see, it's all very complicated it's best to try and get some professional advice on your situation to make sure you don't fall foul of any new taper. Well, thanks very much, Joe. And of course, you can read FT Money's full cover feature telling you everything you need to know about how to navigate these issues this weekend. Still to come on the show, Paul Lewis questions whether you can really profit from investing in antiques and art at auction. Before that, the three C's of income investing. This is the topic that Micah Curry, the FT Money columnist, has seized upon this week. And for the record, those three C's stand for the three types of companies those seeking income winners should hold in their portfolio. Compounders, cash cows and quality cyclicals. Micah, thanks for joining us today. Diversification is the golden rule of investing, as you've said many times before, and investing for income is no exception to that. Tell us more about the diversification formula that you discuss in this week's column. That's right, Claire. Now, the beauty of my job is that I get to meet a lot of experienced fund managers and income investors. I've recently met up with Carl Stick, manager of the Rathbone Income Fund, and central to his investment approach is assessing the risk attached to a company. He looks at business risk, financial risk, and price risk, and then he classes the companies he holds into different buckets. And these are where the three C's come in that I discuss in Saturday's column. Now, let's start with the compounders. These are companies that are high quality companies that can increase their income 
but also that can reinvest in the business and grow the capital base. Now, these are not to be confused with bond proxies. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about bond proxies when we talk about income investing. Bond proxies, by definition, only pay a fixed level of income as a bond does. Compounders, are they come with low business risk, low financial risk, but price risk is high because the inherent strength of the company is reflected in its valuation. So to give you some examples of mm. companies, Record Bank Kaiser is a good example. It reported its results about two weeks ago. Very, very pleasing results. Bunzel, Unilever and Halden Joinery. Then in the second bucket, the cash cows, these are your bond proxies. So they pay a steady level of income, but they're unlikely to grow their income Mm. or to grow their capital base. And the reason is because of their size. We know that elephants don't gallop or because of regulatory and political pressures. So think of the utility companies, telecoms, tobacco companies, mature, stable industries that generate steady income year after year, but the income is really not going to grow. Don't expect the capital base to grow by too much. With these companies, business and financial risk is low, although disruption can actually wreak havoc. And price risk in recent years has increased because with this reach for yield, the search for income, valuations have been pushed up. And then the final bucket are cyclicals. But to be specific, these are quality cyclicals. And these are companies that can pay an income throughout the economic cycle. And your oil and mining companies are probably the best example. So this category of quality cyclicals sounds intriguing, not least with the oil majors reporting their results this week. But are their dividends safe? Should investors be treading carefully? It's a very timely question. And the oil stocks specifically have income fund managers divided because these are key holdings. Just a company like Shell, to give you an example, is the most important company to the UK dividend pot. It hasn't cut its dividend since the Second World War. Blimey. Fund manager like Carl Steck says, once the deal with BG goes through, the dividend cover, which is very thin at the moment, will improve markedly. So that's where the importance of looking through the cycle at these companies and their earnings in two or three years' time Mm. really comes into play. And what about Big Pharma? Now, we've had other columnists, notably Terry Smith, saying he thinks investors should steer clear. But in which bucket do these companies fall to your mind? Well, if you talk about big pharma, they're classically seen as defensive stocks. But I would put them in the quality cyclical bucket, and I'll tell you why. While the demand for drugs aren't cyclical, you've got to take your medicines regardless of what's happening in the broader economy. There's something inherent in the cycle of how pharmaceutical companies make their money. So they bring a drug onto the market, they secure a patent, but in time that expires and then the market gets flooded with generics and eventually they've got to start the cycle again. Now, GlaxoSmithKline is a prime example. And on Tuesday, the 3rd of November, the company will profile its drug pipeline and investors are going to look to be convinced that in two or three years' time, that company will deliver earnings growth. So again, we've got to look through the cycle. Great. And finally, you make the point in your column this weekend that Warren Buffett, um, the sage of Omaha, doesn't like dividends. Why? That's right. So Warren Buffett believes that the best way of returning value to shareholders is to reinvest profits into the business. Now, despite Berkshire Hathaway being the proverbial cash cow, it has never paid a dividend. The exception was once in 1967. And Buffett jokes that he must have been in the bathroom when that decision was made. (laughs) Now, it is quite interesting to note that today the excess cash generated by Berkshire Hathaway has Buffett facing this problem of too much cash. And the thing is, in often he's changing his winning formula. So for a start, partnering up with a private equity company to restructure struggling businesses. Mm. 
buying a capital-intensive business like Billington, Northern Santa Fe Railroad, and even Buffett Disciples confessed to being quite surprised by that decision. And then very recently, he bought a company, Precision Cast Parts, which he admitted to knowing nothing about. Now, far be it from me to question the Sage of Omaha's investment approach. We know it works, but it does sort of underline the importance of dividends and that capital discipline of returning money to shareholders. Well, thank you very much. That was Micah Curry, FT Money's income investing columnist and associate investment director at Fidelity. Thanks, Claire. Before our final item, a reminder that you can read this week's FT Money as part of the Weekend FT, which is widely available on both Saturday and Sunday, or read us online, ft.com slash money, and follow us on Twitter, at FT Money. Stop! Hammer time! If you, like me, love watching TV programmes like Antiques Roadshow or Cash in the Attic, this may well get you thinking about how much your own treasures may fetch under the hammer. Certainly, the value of some alternative assets has soared in recent years, but these calculations seldom include the costs of selling and buying at auction. I'm joined on the line by Paul Lewis, the freelance journalist and Moneybox presenter, who's written all about this in his FT Money column this week. So, Paul, by your calculations, if I was to buy, say, a nice Claris Cliff teapot at auction and the gavel came down at £1,000, I'd actually end up paying more like £1,300. How is this possible? Well, there's a very clever wheeze, which all auctioneers now do, which is to charge both the buyer and the seller. There's no point in being a middleman if you can't charge both ends, really, is there? Hmm. So you bid £1,000, down comes the hammer, as you say, and then you get your bill and you find 25% has been added on as a buyer's premium, another 250 quid. And it doesn't stop there because the premium is vatable. So there's another £50 to be added on, which goes straight towards reducing George Osborne's deficit. So you end up paying <laughs> £1,300. So if I was buying this nice Claris Crift teapot for my own private enjoyment, that's one thing. Um, and obviously the auctioneer uses that money to, to fund their, their business activities. But if I had an eye on that teapot's resale potential as an alternative investment in a few years' time, then my returns would be doubly hammered by the auction house's commission in future. Well, yes, they would, because you've paid the £300 in premium and VAT to buy it. And then when you go back to the auctioneer a couple of years later, you think, oh, these things have gone up in value. I've been watching it on the telly. Mm. Uh, I might be able to make a bit of profit. Um, and imagine that you think, well, they've gone up about 50%. So you take it back. And sure enough, uh, someone uh, bids £1,500. The hammer comes down and you think, great, I've made 50% profit. Because secretly, deep down, you hide from yourself the fact that you've paid this extra premium. And yes. We all do it, don't we, Claire? Yes, um, you know I do. <laughs> <laughs> so... So the hammer comes down at 1,500 quid and you think, great, and you wait a month till your cheque arrives from the auctioneers. And lo and behold, it's not for 1,500 quid at all because they're charging you as the seller. Now, it's not quite as much. It's typically about 15%. So that's mm. 225 quid off that. And guess what? George Osborne wants his stake He gets well. his slice of VAT. Absolutely. So you actually get a cheque for 1,230. And remember, you paid... 
1,300, so that's not exactly a profit. It's more like a loss of 70 quid. Well, it's a very interesting calculation, and I'm sure one that many of our readers will raise an eyebrow at. But what other charges might auction houses add on? Well, for something fairly small, and I I hate to say it, but your Clarice Cliff teapot is probably quite a a cheap and relatively insignificant item in a large (laughs) scale. But there are other charges. If you want a picture of it, for example, you may well be charged for photography and, and the picture. If you want a nice prominent position, I mean, supposing, Claire, that you'd found in your attic a really valuable... Uh, I don't know, Picasso painting. You if might, only. <laughs> you might want it on the front of the catalogue. So you, you'd be charged for that. Now, I have to say, if you had a Picasso painting, you wouldn't be charged these very high percentages, but uh, they do a deal with you. But, you know, if, if you want a picture, if you want prominence, they will charge you for that. And if when you turn up to buy something, you're foolish enough to say, well, I can only afford it by paying by credit card, Ooh. guess what? Another one, two, or even three percent will be added on for the privilege of paying by credit card. Avoid that by just paying by debit card because that's the way that I don't think anyone charges you for that but they do charge for credit cards and if you want to pay in cash then you'll find that you won't be allowed to pay more than £5,000 because of money laundering regulations in cash. Yes, interesting. And if if you buy a property at auction, you have to have your passport on you for that reason and all kinds of other things. But thank you very much there to, to Paul Lewis. You can read the full version of his FT Money column on the subject later this week. We'd love to know what you think about the investment merits of Clarice Cliff teapots, scary pensions changes or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is money at ft.com or you can tweet us at FT Money. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website, via ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition. Should you bequeath your bite-a-let to your 18-year-old? Experts answer one reader's tax-mitigating dilemma. And is there a drawer in your house somewhere stuffed full of old foreign coins from previous holidays? Our FT Thrift column profiles a new business, which hopes to ring the changes. Plus, we share tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. Money Show is produced and edited in London by Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me, Josephine, Micah and Paul Lewis. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.